0: To see, Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to uh, the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians. And uh, I know some of you may have, uh, maybe new to the scriptures, Uh, Philippians. In the middle of all Paul's writings, way way I learned it was you got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those four little letters that Paul wrote. General Electric Power Company. Those, that was the way to learn, uh, the order of those back in the day. So that just gives you a little life hack that, uh, you can, you can use for sure. So good to see you. It really is. Um, we're studying this letter. And the reason we're studying this letter is that Paul had found the secret to joy and contentment in his life. Despite the fact that he's writing this from jail in Rome to this church in Philippi, he has fi- found the source and the secret of contentment and joy. And after what we've gone through over the last uh, year plus now, uh, I've seen many people that have become discontent and their joy has been sucked out of them. And, and listen, I'm talking about pastors uh, that I deal with. It's just a discontentment and a lack of joy that has kicked in, and so the Lord really led uh, led me, and and uh, I, our elders have been praying about. Uh, we need to make sure that we're in the process of of giving you warning as to what it seems like coming down the pike a little bit as far as our our country goes, and and just what we're facing in the world. But let me give you a thought as we get into the scriptures today. I want you to think about a, a group uh, a, that you have had a spiritual encounter with sometimes in your life. And when you think back over that, it just brings great fondness to you. I mean, it just warms your heart to think about the fondness uh, towards these people. Um, Maybe it was a college group or a student ministry group or a previous church you went to that God really moved at that area of your life, and you just think back with great fondness upon that. Pam and I have been very blessed. In 41 years of being on church staffs, we have had nothing but fondness of where everywhere God has taken us. Uh, First church we served at, First Baptist Church in Robinson, Right outside of Waco, I was a student at Baylor at the time. Went there to do youth ministry. I wouldn't have hired me at that point. But uh, they did. They took a chance. And, man, we just look back at those days. Remember taking the kids to camp and just God showing up and just incredible experience. And then we went from there to First Baptist Church in Stephenville. And, man, just think about great days there. Our Kids were born while we was there. Uh, just the fondness of of those people. I remember taking mission trips and God just showing up in the lives of students and, and just fondness, man, is the best way I can describe it. And then uh, what brought us here, uh, we were on staff at First Baptist Church here in Round Rock, and man, just five incredible years of ministry that uh, we we developed lifelong friends and saw God show up in just incredible ways. And, and, and then when the Lord uh, brought us to uh, plant this church and what's going on w- w- through the years, we just think uh, a, with just a warmth in our heart as we think back over what God has blessed us with through many years of ministry. And what, was it all perfect by no means i mean there were peaks and valleys at every place we were at there were there were many mondays where i wanted to write the resignation letter you know how those go and and uh, but yet the lord when i look back in my rational quiet moments there's nothing but fondness and that's the way paul felt about the church in philippi he uh he 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 had this fondness towards them, And, you know, there's nothing like the bond that comes around Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul had this incredible fondness towards the, the church in Philippi. And what I want to talk about today is these, uh, these joy. What brought Paul this joy? And in uh, verses 3 through 11, we're going to be looking at that today. I, I just covered two verses last week. I figured if I just did two verses a week, 20, 30, we may be through with a letter to Philippi, but we're gonna, we're gonna make up some ground today. But you're gonna have to stay with me and, and I always encourage you to jot down notes. Not that, uh, the stuff I say will ever be, uh, in publication, but it helps your mind to stay focused and your heart to stay on track. The first thing that brought Paul joy was his uh, was his remembrance and his memories of the people? Look at look with me at Philippians one verses three, uh, four and five. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Every memory he had of the church just brought him. Incredible joy. Was it, was it always smooth? By no means. He got imprisoned. He got, he, he got beaten there. But yet, still, he looks back on joy. I think he remembers Lydia, that lady that sold purple items, uh, high, high scale items probably. And, uh, he had the conversation that led her to faith in Christ. Her and her whole family came to, uh, belief in Jesus Christ. He probably thought about that demonized fortune teller girl that he uh, had all he could take. And by the authority, Jesus cast that demon aside. And she was uh, another one that came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he probably remembers uh, that jailer when he and Paul and Silas uh, were singing uh, hymns at midnight. He comes in and after the earthquake. And Paul tells him and his whole family how they can come to know Jesus Christ. And they're all uh, baptized. And all of a sudden, you've got this church that's formed. And he looks back that, with that a great fondness. And it just moves his heart. Every time he thinks about them, it, there's just a good memory. And 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 here's a thought for you. You can jot this down. Paul didn't let his circumstances keep him from thinking of others. God, uh, Paul did not let his circumstances keep him from thinking of others. You know, I am guilty, and I'm transparent in front of you guys. I am guilty when something goes awry in my life to say, oh, pity me, and my focus goes from you to me. That's just what happens. And I would say I'm not alone in that, because most of us... When we have something go right, oh, pity me, somebody see me, somebody take care of my hurts and my wounds and this kind of stuff. Paul, on the other hand, didn't allow his circumstances to make him get nearsighted, but it allowed him to see beyond them. And I'm thinking, Lord, please teach me this. Please teach me that hard times come on this planet, tough times come, but, Lord, I'm not to become self-absorbed, but I am to be willing to look out and see the need of others. I, I am currently uh, doing a study in Second Timothy chapter 3, and, and it begins out by saying, in the last days, in the last of the days, there are going to be perilous times. And it says, the, one of the first things, it says, people will be self-absorbed. They will be self-lovers. And I'm thinking, Lord, we must be in the last day because we struggle with self-absorption. But Paul was a guy that could look beyond his circumstances no matter how bad they were to to put his eyes on others. And notice what he says in the scriptures. He says, he says, you, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel. This word partnership is the word koinonia, which uh, we've interpreted before fellowship which literally means we're in the same boat, going the same direction, with the same objective. And he says, you partnered with me in the gospel. Now, what's interesting is, is that Paul was always the end of the spear, right? I mean, he he seemed to be out there, uh, out there in, in places, doing the ministry. He and Barnabas, he and Silas, he and Timothy... They were the tip of the spear, right? They were always out there. But you know that the tip of the spear is just the tip. You need somebody else. You need the encouragers. You need the prayers. You need the givers. You you need others that are going to be a part of making sure the spear gets to where it needs to and Paul is taken care of. And that's what the church in Philippi did. They partnered with him. They came and and developed, uh, gave resources to him so he could do the gospel. And, and what is the gospel? That, that, we struggle with that. We use that word all the time. That's a gospel truth. That's a gospel truth. Well, what does that mean, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John? These are the four gospels. What, what is the gospel? Well, the liter- the word literally means good news. It's a victorious cry. A runner comes in and the battle, and he's saying, good news, good news. We won the battle. It's the good news that comes. Well, what is our good news? What is what is this thing we're partnering together with uh, to to share the good news? Well, the good news is this: whether you believe it or not, all of us when we were born, Brent, that new little fella has got a sin nature. He's got; he's probably already showing it. And you know, many people say, "Well, you just take children and put them in a room; they'll be fine." I'm telling you, the word mine is one of the first words that comes out. And and so we're born with this sin nature, and because of that, we are destined to be under the wrath of God. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, and Jesus was the, became sin on our behalf. He paid the debt we could not pay, and anyone who places their faith in Christ has forgiveness has purpose, uh, look at it this way. We are free from the penalty of our sin, and we are free from the power of our sin, and one day we will be free from the presence of sin because of what Jesus has done. And that's good news. That is good news. And so we are all partners in this good news, and that's what that's what this fond affection is that uh, Paul has for the Philippian people. And I, I just remember back in the days of athletics and playing football, or, or some of you maybe military, or, or even your job, where you have a task to fulfill. And I think about sports because it it helped mold me in so many ways. But you know, everybody's not the quarterback. Everybody's not a running back. Everybody's not a wide receiver. Everybody's not a, a defensive lineman or a cornerback or whatever. You have different positions to fulfill different functions, but the objective is always the same. And somebody's going to, well, the objective is to score. No, the objective is to outscore the opponent and have victory. That's what the, uh, that's what the objective is to, to, uh, do that. And so we, we look at this and we, we see that everybody has a different function to fulfill, to carry out what needs to happen. It's that way in the body of Christ as well. We all have different functions to fulfill. Here's another thought for you to write down. Great joy comes from doing life with other Christ followers. Great joy comes from doing life with other Christ followers. This past year plus we we would say, what was the biggest uh, destruction of the coronavirus? Well, somebody would say, lives were lost. And that's horrendous. Lives were lost. But I tell you one that's almost rivaled that is isolation. People have gotten isolated, and uh, they do not come out of their homes. They uh, They have separated themselves from community, and they needed to. I mean, they needed to isolate. And, and what has happened in that is the mental health problems are soaring out of sight. Suicide rate is soaring out of sight. Uh, struggles within people are soaring out of sight. Well, Why is that? Is it the fear of the virus? It's more isolationism pulling away from everybody. L- let me tell you, you were built for community. God wants you to be in community. And I tell you something, some people are never going to come back. And, and the reason is they've gotten very comfortable in uh, their isolationism. Let's just watch church on TV. It's safe. Uh, that's what we need to do. We, we're just going to, to stay uh, cloistered within our, our group. And what happens is, is you lose part of what you're created for. And we are to do life together. And so our goal is not to be the best online presence. And we're you that are watching online, we're so glad that you're able to do that. Our desire is eventually to be all back together in community. And I know everybody online, that's what they want as well. But But we were created for this community. And let me give you one other thought. Every believer is to be involved with the gospel going to the whole world. And uh, that's what I talked about a minute ago. Every believer is to be involved with the gospel going to the whole world. Jesus commissioned all of us, okay? Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Listen. All of us, as followers of Jesus, have been commissioned to go out and share the gospel, and so we 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 should not be exempt from that. And and the conference the other day, Chris Hodges said this: the problem is not uh, the harvest; the problem is the laborers. The Lord said the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So the problem is not the harvest. The problem is the labors. I read a, I read your story. I'll give out my notes just to, uh, to be able to share it. But story is of King George the fifth, who in latter years of his reign, it was always his custom to broadcast a Christmas message to the empire. And during one of the broadcasts, uh, when everybody was waiting to hear the, in the world that one of the uh, technicians uh, realized that a wire was uh, cut in two, and uh, he had this uh, thought all of a sudden that to pick up both ends of the wire and he himself would be the conduit so the voice of the king could go out. Whether it's completely true or not, the, the picture is obvious. We are to be conduits to make sure the king's message goes into our world. We cannot be silent. People desperately need Jesus. And so we are all a part of the gospel going to the whole world. Now, let's continue on. The second thing that brought Paul joy is a firm confidence in God. A firm confidence in God. Look at verse uh, 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The second thing that brought Paul joy was his confidence in God. You know, there are many joy-stealers, right? Uh, I'll share three joy stealers in my life. First of all, there's worry. Um, Worry, we don't seem to be exempt from worry, but worry is a high anxiety over something that may never occur. How many parents have worried over their children that something might occur and it never occurs? Are you worried about getting laid off or you've worried about your health and it never occurs? This is worry to the extreme. Uh, here's another one, stress. Now, let me say a good word about stress before I uh, give a, a negative. You will not function without some stress in your life. A rubber band doesn't work without stress. You've got to have a certain uh, uh, measurable amount of stress to work. But I'm talking about an intense strain over a situation that's beyond your control. And this is stressing about things that you can't even control. And then the third one is this, fear, fear, a dreadful uneasiness over the presence of danger, evil, or pain. These are joy stealers. And Paul, you would think, would have all these. He's in jail in Rome. You would think worry, uh, stress, fear would be all over him. And And we have a tendency, we're addicted to worry, fear, and stress, it seems like, in our culture. And yet, to the extreme, you all battle this. Worry, fear, and stress to the extreme would show our lack of confidence in God. And Paul, he brought him joy because he saw confidence in God all the time. And notice verse 6. Let me read it one more time. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've been in discipleship class before, you've probably memorized that verse. Uh, it's such a good verse. But it could have two meanings here. One meaning was is that the church at Philippi gave resources to Paul so he could do ministry. And Paul is saying, because of the work you've begun in supporting me, you're going to continue to do that until the day of completion before Christ Jesus. That's one. The second one is, is more on a doctrinal level that you need to hear this. He who began, the Lord who began the good work in you, is going to continue to work it out until you stand before Jesus himself. Now let me give you what that just a, a layman's picture of that. Most of you in this room have at some time, by faith, made a step of commitment of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Did you know you couldn't even do that if God didn't draw you? He is involved from the very get-go. His Holy Spirit has to draw you. And and hear this. You can't even repent and turn from that sin on your own. He has got to uh, give you the, the enablement to do that. And so... Uh, all you can do is by faith, receive what He has done, and so it is the Lord has begun this work in you, and it will not be completed until you stand before Christ. so there is this relationship that you develop with Christ that is a growing relationship. We had baptisms in the in the two uh, previous services today, and these these believers who are new in the faith um, God has begun a work in them, and we don't expect them to be perfect. Uh, I, I think we've always got to be careful of that, but we expect them to grow, right? If a person is the same as they were five years ago in their faith, I get concerned. I would get concerned over my grandchildren if I five years from now they're the same size and everything. I'm going to think, there's a problem here. But but spiritually, they need to grow, and we need to grow, and we need to know that God who began this work in us is going to be faithful to uh, complete it. Um, Here's a thought for you, too, that you can write down. A day is coming that will bring total completion. A day is coming. Paul says this, he says, you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You ready? All of us will one day stand before Jesus Christ. All of us. All of us will stand one day before Jesus Christ. History as we know it will be completed, and we will stand before Him. And the deal, the deal is, how will we stand before Him? Will we stand before Him complete in Christ Jesus or will we stand with him before him, thinking we can do it on our own? The the deal is, a day is coming, and Paul lived each day as though Christ were about to return. Um, I apologize for all the sports analogies, but one more I've got to give because I do what I do on Sundays. Uh, you know. Most of the, I'm a Cowboys fan, and most of the Cowboys games would be on Sunday. And, um, I would record those, those games. And, uh, I would, I would record them. And Gene, what I would do, do you like the Cowboys? Okay. Um, I would not watch it unless they won. I mean, why would I watch something and the outcome is going to be loss? It's a wasted time for me. But you know, if I know the outcome, I know that if they throw an interception or fumble or somebody gets hurt in the game, I may feel a little bad at the moment, but I know victory's coming. And so in my life, When I see I stumble and fall at times, when I see particular struggles that come along, and I look at history, and it may not be unfolding the way I would want it to unfold at times, I know victory is still coming. And that's what Christ has done for us. And Paul lived his life full confidence in God that someday there will be a day of completion. But there's a third thing that... um, that Paul had, that brought him joy, and that was he felt a warm affection toward his fellow believers. Let me, let me pick it up one more time. He felt a warm affection toward his fellow believers. I'm going to read verse seven through verse 11 again. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may be what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. There he talks about that day again. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. Don't you just see his affection for these people there. It's just pouring out as he prays for them. And he says this in verse 8. He says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I yearn for you. Now, to, to get a interest in the word yearn, to understand exactly what it means, it really means this. I love you from my gut. I love you from my gut. I, I just, the literal interpretation is bowels, the, the internals, the the bowels, but it's the guts. I love you. I mean, that's, that's the intensity and the affection of his love for the people. I love you from my gut. That's the way I love you. And, you know, there's different kinds of relationships in life. Um, there's three. In particular first of all there's acquaintances most of us have a lot of acquaintances America's built on acquaintances we're we're thousands of miles wide and an inch deep we don't talk about much how you doing fine even though your world's, world's falling apart we're acquaintances uh, how about how about that football team how about that weather you know we're acquaintances But second of all, there's friendship. Friendships, we exchange ideas, we exchange things in life, and there's a little bit of depth in that. And then fully is trust. The problem in our culture today is many people have had their trusters broke, and they don't risk trust. And so you have acquaintances, you have friendships, and you have trust. Acquaintances, you have a whole lot. Friends, I hope you have some. Trust are rare. Paul is willing to say he completely trusts these people. He has given himself fully to them. Might they hurt him? Sure, he's willing to risk that because of his love. And notice his prayer uh, to them. He says, I pray that your love may abound. It's the picture of a river that's about to swell over. "I, I pray that your love may abound. But then he prays for this. He prays for discernment that you may walk in discernment in this um, life. I, I love the Bible. I mean, I love to read it and see what it has to say and how it feeds me. But many people believe that when you come to faith, you kiss your brain goodbye. And that's as far from the truth as you could ever be because the Bible, and Paul was praying that you may have discernment, that you may know what is right, that you may have wisdom in this area. And then he prays for this day of the Lord, that they may be pure and blameless when they stand before the Lord, and that they may fi- be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Man, isn't that good prayer? I, I, I'm telling you, I, I pray through the directory for you folks. And, uh, I, I, you know, Lord, how do I need to pray uh, for this family, and I pray for the kids, this kind of stuff. But man, I'm reading Paul's prayer, I'm thinking, man, somebody pray over me with that prayer, that your love may abound, that you may have discernment, that you may be pure and blameless on the day of the Lord, and that you may be filled for the fruit of righteousness. I'm thinking, yeah, man, somebody pray that. And that's that. that just shows the affection that Paul had for these people, and he loved them so much. Let me wrap this up. These are the three things that brought Paul great joy. That that he remembered these people. And he saw the confidence he had in God. That God was completely trustworthy. And he felt this incredible affection for people. We have this partnership in the gospel. And I thought about four statements right quick that I just throw out to you. Because part of it's this work. We want to walk in what God has done for us. In other words, salvation is a gift from God. It's not something you can earn. It's something he has done for us. But secondly, we need to walk in what God has done in us. This is what you call sanctification. It's that process of cleaning you up. And, uh, you know, God catches the fish and then He cleans it. And that's what He does in us. Thirdly, we want to walk in what God does through us. We're all called to serve. We're all called to be a part and able to do what He wants us to do. And then fourthly, we need to walk in what God does with us. And ultimately... I'm telling you, I'm going to be free from the, from the presence of sin and be a gift to Him that will glorify Him. And that's what we're called to do for what He's done for us, what He's done in us, what He does through us, and what He does to us. I end with a story. There was a concert pianist, and he was going to be doing a concert, and the place was sold out. It was packed. And so he comes in and sits at his piano and he begins to play. And when he comes to conclusion, everybody just stands and applauds. Everybody except for one guy who's sitting on the front balcony. And, and uh, man, there's just the applause. And so he walks off the stage totally dejected. And somebody stops him and says, man, why are you so down? He said, don't you hear the applause? Don't you see the people standing? He says, but you see that guy? On the center, he is not standing. He is not applauding. Ah, don't, don't let that guy bother you. Look at everybody else. He said, you don't understand. He said, that guy is my teacher. And I desire his applause above everyone else's. Here's the way that works out in our life. You know, I struggle with a man-pleasing spirit just like many of you do. And we live for those applause. But listen, I can get applause from you all day long, but I do not get applause of my king and my teacher. What good is it? One day we will all stand before Jesus Christ. What will he say to us on that day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your kingdom? I, I hope so. Or can I stand before him and say, Man, I preach in front of people or I did this work or I did this and look at the the applause. Everybody was excited. You know where I'm going. How are we living for the applause of heaven?